This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Ahoy, ahoy. Uh, welcome to another episode of Fence Sider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until about uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, I think. I'm in the Central Time Zone, so I always have a hard time uh, for figuring out what time it is uh, out east if we're going to be going to a certain hour. But yeah, it'll be 10 p.m. Eastern. We got a ton to talk about uh, tonight. Just uh, less than a week <coughs> after after the Dolphins season ended. Uh, on a high note, I, if you're not into higher draft picks, uh, the Dolphins pretty much put it on. New England in Miami uh, on Sunday, and it, it was enjoyable for a few reasons. If you're into into this team's chemistry going forward, uh, most so with Devontae Parker, who pretty much got with the program in a hurry, it, to the point now where he looks outstanding. Uh, really has it together uh, in terms of what he wants to do on on deep throws and fighting for the ball, and um, he's going to be something. I know a lot of people were worried about him uh, starting out with a, you had the lingering foot injury. You weren't really sure if he was up to speed. Uh, there was that, the lack of, of training camp and whatnot. Uh, he got with it, though, so that's going to be pretty awesome, and if, uh, if, if we're fortunate, uh, he'll stick with Ryan Tannehill because I think those two have a pretty awesome rapport going already. Uh, we have a nice panel going tonight. Uh, first, uh, the, actually, the first person to call in is usually the last person to call in. That's Chris, Dolphin fan for life. What's going on? I'm doing all right. You? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for thanks for asking. I'm just going to go ahead and bring everyone on here. I'm fairly certain that uh, Duke is with us too. What's up, buddy? Uh, not a whole lot. Good. Good to hear from you. It's been a while since we've been able to do this show together, so I'm I'm glad to have you on here. And then our our fourth panel person, last but not least, is us. Uh, I appeared on his show last night, so this is sort of the reciprocal thing we have going on right now. Is Lewis? What's up? What's up, guys? What are we talking about? Uh, we're gonna talk about uh 
ton of stuff, a lot of positives, really. It's an exciting time, really, to be a Dolphins fan. You can't say that too often. But right now, there's a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of stuff that we discussed on, on Lewis's show last night. We're really just going to go ahead and kind of flip that discussion over this way. Uh, number one is the fact that we've got this, this coaching spirit going on right now that uh, has kind of taken uh, not really a turn unless you were – uh, hopeful for Sean Payton. I wasn't one of those those people, but uh, they're out there. Uh, Sean Payton comes out today that he's staying in New Orleans, a little bit of a surprise. Not as surprising as, as Chuck Pagano staying in Indy. I expected those guys to clean house. Uh, instead, Ryan Gerson and Chuck Pagano uh, get extensions. So uh, a little bit of a surprise there, considering the fact that aside from Andrew Luck, that team doesn't have a lot to be to be stoked about right now. They have a young receiver core, which is nice. Uh, but outside of the quarterback and, and his weapons, uh, I, I don't think Indy fans are over the moon about their defense right now. Their offensive line was banged up all year, caused a lot of problems. Andrew Luck wasn't healthy at all this year. So, But Chuck, Chuck Pagano stays, Ryan Grigson stays. So, okay. Uh, Steven Ross looking better all the time especially when Jim Mercer gets on Twitter and and spouts off and says things that I really just don't understand. I think he said that Ryan Gregson has already, has already matched Bill Polian and what he's been able to achieve in, in Indianapolis. That is ridiculous. That's probably the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And, I mean, he just put that out there. So I don't know if Jim Mercer is the ultimate troll on Twitter or, or if he really believes that. I hope it's the former. Because if it's the latter, then... God help us out. So, if so, Sean Payton apparently off the table. News comes out today that the Dolphins are going to get an interview with Hugh Jackson. I think it's Sunday. I think he's got some sort of marathon going on. He's interviewing with uh, uh, San Francisco and Cleveland too, I believe. The, the rumor out there right now is, yeah, Hugh Hugh has been eyeing the Miami job for a while, but he's also hot to trot about coaching in San Francisco. I mean, you really can't blame them. It's a, it's a beautiful area. The only problem is the team uh, issue a quarterback. I understand they are in position with that seventh pick. They might be able to to get one of the guys in this draft. Uh, but a lot of work needed on the defensive side of the ball. Um, offensively, uh, they're getting a lot older. I thought the issue, the addition of Torrey Smith was pretty good, but that offensive line is not what it was a few years ago when they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, Upati obviously gone. He's in Arizona now. Uh, Anthony Davis retired. Uh, and Joe Staley still looks good, but a lot of issues interior uh, on the interior line for those guys. So Hugh, we don't know really where he's at. Mike Shanahan is interviewed. I believe Terrell Austin is also interviewed. Those guys had a lot of polarizing uh, up, up, have polarizing opinions from the fan base. Uh, in regard to the team bringing those guys on, uh, one that, you know, a lot of people think that what happened in Washington was Mike Shanahan's fault. I'm not one of those people. I thought that uh, Robert Griffin pretty much going behind the coach's back to get to the owner. Uh, not much you can do about that. Uh, and don't forget the owner started... actually allowing RG3 to do that over and over again. Well, no one's ever going to accuse Daniel Snyder of good taste. I mean, anytime you hear that guy talk, you see him in his in his in his uh, owner's box, uh, the guy just exudes poor judgment. And I mean, and to be honest with you, he's incredibly fortunate that that team's in the playoffs. I mean, they really just 
that team has a horseshoe up its ass in, in several ways. The fact that they're able to somehow circumvent the entire Robert Griffin mess by drafting a quarterback in the fourth round that year, that same year in 2012, and they get Kirk Cousins, I think it was the fourth round. Uh, and Kirk Cousins looks pretty good. I mean, he's got a decent offensive line, offensive line in front of him. Trent Williams is an outstanding left tackle. He's got good weapons. Uh, th- those guys have done great work for him. So uh, it's it's worked out thus far, but um, a lot of people blame Shanahan for what happened out there. It, it ultimately resulted in his exit from Washington. And I think he was splitting the GM duties with Bruce Allen at the time which is kind of a hairy thing. I'm not a huge fan of that. I get that Belichick and Polian kind of had the same, or Pioli, excuse me, uh, had the same thing going on in New England. I realize it can work, but it just sounds like a conflict of interest more often than not. And then Terrell Austin, uh, everyone's a little bit down on the idea of bringing in, bringing in a new coach. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with Philbin. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Adam Gates is a guy. But I've seen, I saw rumors today that a lot of people expect Adam Gase to uh, end up in Philadelphia, that he's leaning toward that job. I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that that is a, they have a quarterback in place. I mean, they have a lot of good players on that, time, on that team. They have a lot of issues, too, that, I mean, they're going to have to clean up after the whole Chip Kelly experiment. So I'm going to start with, well, we'll start with uh, um, Dolphin fan for life, Chris just because uh, we'll, we'll go in order of, of arrival. But is there a head coach you're most interested in right now, and is there a head coach candidate you'd like to avoid? Um, the avoidance is probably going to be both McDaniels and the defensive coordinator for for the Patriots, mainly yeah, the first Patricia. Time. Um, mainly because they don't really strike me as the t- the type of people that, you know, will get the job done. They'll do what they have to do. But my main concern is you pick, you know, New England as much as success that it has had. You got to pick the lesser of two evils. And we play against uh two teams in the conference that both spend a lot of time with run-heavy offenses. And their entire goal is going to be to beat the Patriots, and we only have two games against them. So when you have that aspect around, they're going to build the defenses around defending the pass, of course, because of Tom Brady. But then we're going to neglect the run, which is exactly what has been giving us problems with both Buffalo and the Jets because they feature run-heavy offenses, you know, speedy threats around the tackles, and boom, we can't we can't handle them. As far as who I would like to see, the one name that really strikes me as odd that we haven't heard about, I mean, I mentioned this when they said that we were interviewing three different head coaches, I mean, three candidates from the AFC East is the one name they happen to avoid, which is Casey Rogers. Bringing him back to Miami because look at what he did with New York up there. And, I mean, I thought we made a mistake 
the last time we didn't try to take him as a you know serious candidate, and we saw exactly what he did in New York. You can put that on the head coach, but at the same time, our defensive line was one of the best before he left with both run-stopping and rushing the passer, even when it was just Kim awake. And now it's like, what, um, in the 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 mid-late teens to the early 20s? So that's my thing. As far as, like, candidates that we've had on the list, not one single name really strikes out as me as someone that I'm like, yeah, we have to go get them. Even when Sean Payton wasn't. I like the candidates. Candidate. I think the important thing to note is uh, there's there's a variety of candidates, and they can all bring something different to the table. Like if you bring in Terrell Austin, you're going to expect Miami's secondary to get a lot better because Darius Slay was a major underachiever in Detroit prior to Terrell Austin getting a, getting a hold of him. And Darius Slay has, is one of the better corners in the league at this point. Now, I'm not saying he's going to – now, Terrell Austin's going to come in and turn Jamar Taylor into Champ Bailey. I'm not saying that. But I do think that with these guys, if you bring in Adam Gates, if, if, if uh, the Philadelphia thing is just, uh, just a rumor and suppose Adam Gates lands in Miami, you're going to expect him to work well with Ryan Tannehill the way that he worked really well. I mean, Jay Cutler just – I mean – until this weekend, he had thrown eight interceptions. He had a bad last game. But to get Jay Cutler's interception total down is a near-miracle feat. That is like partying the Red Sea. I mean, it's not – I mean, that guy is just a, has been an interception machine. Adam Gase uh, clearly worked out with Peyton Manning. I mean, you say, like, well, it's Peyton Manning. You can work out with anyone. Well, you, you've seen that Peyton Manning this season when – despite the fact that he's had the injury, has not looked nearly as comfortable in Gary Kubiak's system as opposed to when as opposed to when uh, Adam Gase was working with him. So I like the variety. And I want one thing I want to point out is uh, Duke also appeared on Lewis's show last night. And, Duke, I was surprised that uh, you're in – well, for lack of a better term, uh, you're maybe not so much indifferent, but you're really open to the coaching hire. Like you're you're leaving it in the hands of these guys, just hoping that they bring in bring in a guy who's going to get it done, who knows what he's doing. That, that's just the main thing. I said it on this show. I said it last night. I just want a coach that knows what they're doing. I mean, Sperano had had the fiery personality. He get the players engaged, but he just didn't he just didn't have in game stuff. Philbin was was dry sawdust. Couldn't do the end game stuff. I mean, just these guys that don't know what they're doing. Now that doesn't mean that. Uh, I mean, people say, "Well, these first time guys." Well, I, I mean, I don't. As far as I know, Bruce Arians never had a head coaching job before, uh, and he turned out pretty good. I mean, there's guys that that don't necessarily have the head coaching experience that can turn out to be good. I just want Miami to find one. And I don't really care who that is. I don't care what his specialty is, as long as he's good and knows what he's doing. I mean, I don't honestly don't care if it's Dan Campbell. If he comes back and he hires the right staff and they get things turned around, I'm fine with that. I just don't want another – what I don't want to see is I don't want to see a coach come in, fail, 
The team get rid of Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill goes to the Bills, leads them to a Super Bowl, and in, and that's just the stuff that happens with Miami because they don't have these they don't have good coaching. And you know, I've talked to people on the site. We've had decent coaches in the past, but we've had terrible, untalented teams. Miami's got a talented team. They've had a talent, pretty talented teams for the past couple of years, for the most part, and the coaching staff has just held them back. And I mean, you don't see anybody beating down the door to get to Joe Philbin or, or Bill Lazor or, or Kevin Coyle. I mean, just those are the guys they've had for, or even Mike Sherman. Those are the guys that we've had for Tannehill's career, and, and and it just didn't work. And you know, just just bring in somebody that works, and get some get some more talent on the field, and it'll come together. And as far as, as a, my head coaching pick, I'm kind of, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I I actually thought you were done. It cut out for a second, so I thought you had uh, oh. stopped speaking. Uh, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm I'm kind of in the camp of the Tom Coughlin. Dan Campbell uh, route. And I know that's kind of maybe a pipe dream, but I like the idea of getting Coughlin, who is an experienced coach, but one who's not necessarily a long-term option, but a guy who can mentor Dan Campbell, who, number one, the fans still like him, I think. I mean, fans are torn as whether or not he can be a head coach, but I think he can, he's the fans like what he brings. The players like him. He just needs... Uh, he just needs some seasoning. No experience. Yeah, I mean he doesn't have he doesn't have the experience. Although to be fair, he's got more head coaching experience than Adam Gase or uh, some of these other candidates that they're interviewing. So yeah, they had coordinator experience, but so did Joe Field. Uh, you know, so that's you know I, it, pretty much any example you can throw out there of a guy with experience, without experience, or the coordinator this or that. You can always find uh, another example that didn't work. What I like about Campbell is he, he's, he, to me, he's another case of what uh, Todd Bowles was. Uh, Todd Bowles, you know, the interim in 2011, he, he went 2-1, and people were like, this guy's going to be a, this guy's gonna be a good head coach, going to be a good head coach. He goes off, and now he's a, people are liking him up in New York. Um, you know, so I, I just want to see that with Dan Campbell where they're like, well, he's not ready yet, and then he goes off, and then he's when you coach the Bills, and the Bills go 12-4 and four or something like that. I mean, that's just what happens. So if you can keep a guy who appears to be a rising star uh, and, and let him work with someone who's experienced, who still wants to coach, uh, I, I'm, I'm all for that route. But, you know, that that's kind of my personal preference. But if that doesn't happen and they hire some somebody else, as long as that guy knows what he's doing, I'm fine with it. Before we get to Lewis, I just want to point out that we are taking calls tonight. Uh, while we're having this um, this discussion, if you want to go ahead and give us a call, and I love calling it a studio, it's uh, 347-326-9461. I'm doing double duty tonight, and I'm also working the phone. So if you want to go ahead and weigh in on the coaching if, uh, search, who you want to see in Miami, I, uh, who you don't. Can sure. I add one more thing to an earlier point? With Indianapolis, uh, with Hanny yeah. and Ryan Grigson, that is great news for Miami. He is potentially a worse GM than Jeff Island ever dreamed of being. I mean, just look at some of the personnel <laughs> moves that that guy has made. Uh, and him staying in Indy, and them not getting a real, uh, a, a real GM, 
that's good news. Well, all the the draft picks they've made since Andrew Luck have pretty much suggested that the way they make their picks is through a, a game of drunken dart in the, in the war room for those guys. I don't understand a lot of the picks that they make. I liked them picking up Philip Dorsett. I just didn't think they really needed him, especially when you look at what they've got going on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, whatever. Far be it for me to sit there and, and tell them what to do, especially when I would like the Dolphins to be better than them. And I think that if this coaching hire is going to be a, the first step in that direction. So, um, anyway, what I was saying is uh, you guys can go ahead go ahead and give us a call in the studio, 347-326-9461. I'm working the phone. I will greet you cordially. You can come on here. You can argue with us. You can tell us we're all idiots. You can tell us. You can profess your undying love for Omar. I don't really care. I just want to hear from you guys. Uh, actually, I do care. If you, if you call in to do that, I will hang up on you immediately. See, I'm, I took that one too far. But I can't help it. It's an exciting time of year. Uh, we've got a lot of good things going on right now. I was actually just to ask, about to ask Lewis something, and I think he just actually uh, bolted. Hopefully he gives us a call back because he was telling us last night he's a Hugh Jackson guy. And he had a lot of great reasons for it when he was uh, – uh, pitching his proposal for why the Dolphins should go hard after him. Uh, Cincinnati uh, could very well be out after their, their playoff game because I think they're getting uh, they're getting into the lion's den with Pittsburgh, even if it's on the road. Uh, so if um, my eyes don't deceive me, Lewis is back. Lewis, is that you? Yes, it's me. I accidentally pushed the wrong button. I was trying to unmute my microphone instead my thumb slip. I thought we offended you with uh, saying no. that we weren't going to accept any any uh, timeline talk. So, so go ahead. <laughs> if you could just want to kind of recap what you were talking about last night, talking about, because you're a big Hugh Jackson guy, if I, if I recall correctly. Yes, I am. But uh, before I say anything, I just want to point out a tweet that I just saw that uh, the Eagles have apparently given, they've, they have offered Mr. Adam Gase a contract so it appears that the Eagles and the Dolphins are currently in a very heated race to see who's going to become the next head coach. Um, I, I Before I talk about Hugh Jackson, I guess I'll just uh, really quickly talk about what Adam Gase has to offer. I mean, yes, he brought down he brought down Jay Cutler's interceptions. He also brought down everything else. And the offense as a whole, the Chicago Bears, it didn't really improve all that much. But I guess I, I guess it's a matter of uh, the rest of the team. I don't know. The Butler improved, but the rest of the offense did not. So I don't know how much of an improvement you make. It really depends on how you look at it. If you look at Cutler as an individual, then yes, he did better. If you look at the Bears as a whole team, then no, there wasn't really that much of an improvement. So I guess they it did have a lot of injuries. Just uh, I mean, Alshon Jeffrey was always hurt, and you know Kevin White didn't even play this year. And their offensive line uh, outside of the interior is pretty much a, a dumpster fire, just to point that out. And another thing before you continue is uh, Adam Gates' offenses, not great in the red zone. It's something I just want to make clear to everyone else. I watched a lot of Bears games this year. Uh, the, the red zone play calling was really baffling. Continue, I'm sorry. No, it's uh, it's actually a fair point that you brought up because the Dolphins have been struggling in the red zone for, it feels like, forever. So uh, if the fact that if Adam Gates is the one who's in charge of making the offense and it turns out that we still have the same red zone troubles, that's annoying because, let's be honest, Alshon Jeffrey right now, 
right now, I'm not saying he will be forever, but right now Alshon Jeffrey is a better red zone target, at least in my eyes, than Devontae Parker. And if he can't get it done with Alshon Jeffrey, I don't think he's going to be able to get it done with just Devontae Parker. They need to some, – somehow the red zone needs to be fixed. And I think the way you fix that is by making it so that you have an offensive line that can run the football in the red zone and actually get into the end zone like not on fourth down after failed to get anywhere on the first three downs. So Adam Gase, I was I was pretty high on Adam Gase for a little while, but since as the days have passed, I have since cooled on the idea of what Adam Gase being a head coach would mean. So now I'm back to uh, the guy that I've been wanting ever since this full coaching staff thing started. It's Hugh Jackson. Now, the whole premise behind my wanting Hugh Jackson is very simply that the team that he had in Oakland when he took over for Tom Cable, who was the head coach before then, it was bad. It was really bad. But there is one thing that I'm a little concerned about now, and it's that when Tom, the last year that Tom Cable was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, they also went 8-8. Eight and eight. So it's not like Hugh Jackson took a terrible record team and then made them 8-8 eight and eight the next year. I've recently learned that Cable got them to 8-8, eight and eight, and then Hugh Jackson just repeated that same success. So I'm trying now to figure out, well, did Jackson really do that much, or did he just kind of continue what Tom Cable was starting to build, and he got booted out because Reggie McKenzie took over for the team, and Al Davis had died, and the whole organization was in flux, so everybody wanted to complete and utter change. So I'm a little worried about that, but I still see it as a matter of, look what he's done with Andy Dalton, Look what he's done with the Bengals' offense. I don't think they're going to choke this year just as badly as they have been for the other years because I think, for the record, I think if they do, Marvin Lewis is going to get fired. So, I mean, so there's a lot of – I have about that, actually. Do you think, Andy, if, if – suppose Cincinnati wins this weekend, they they break the the – the snap that they've got going on here where, I mean, they're, they're one and done in the playoffs every year. Is Dalton happy or sad that they win that first playoff game without him? Uh, are you referring to him being he, Marvin Lewis? No, the fact that he wouldn't play. Um. I think it'd be more along just, the lines. I mean, because I mean, all all signs well, indicate sure that he might be ready next week if they win. Well, I'm sh- okay. Well, Keith, I'm sure that he would be happy if his team won. However, oh, we are all human, and we have, and men, a lot of men have very fragile egos. So not on this if, show. If yeah, well, I'm just kidding. We don't, I don't have I don't have ego problems. I just get annoyed too easy. So anyway. If AJ McCarron winds up going up there and winning that game, I'm sure he'd be happy for the team that they finally snapped the one-and-done playoff uh, drought. But he's going to be a little annoyed that it's like, that could have been me out there, doggone it. So, and if, and, and for, just for the, just for the record, if the Bengals do win with A.J. McCarron at quarterback, that adds more appeal to what Hugh Jackson can offer as a head coach because 
True. Everybody right now is looking at Andy Dalton like, wow, he he's 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 woken up. He's the new elite quarterback of the NFL, certainly kind of like how everybody was looking at Joe Flacco during their Super Bowl run, and hopefully people are smarter than that now. I mean, I mean, great, he's been in the fourth quarter. Let's go call, give Team Tebow a call. He'll get us a fourth quarter win. But in any case, I would hope that people realize, well, maybe it's not just Andy Dalton. Maybe Hugh Jackson has really figured out how to get the best out of the people that he's got. And that's my whole point. We have talent on this football team. I'm not going to back down from that. I now know that we need a lot more, but there's still talent to be had. And somebody like Hugh Jackson, who maximizes what he's given, who's not dependent solely on his scheme, his way of doing things, he's more looking along the lines of, okay, what do I have? What's going to work best given what I have? That's the kind of coach the Dolphins need. And if they can get that kind of a coach in there, then I think the Dolphins might, might, I'm going to say might, have a chance to at least get a wild card spot next year because this team has talent. This this, this team has just been minimized of talent, not maxed. So who's the coach that you you have an aversion to? Yeah, I mean, you're you're on the Hugh Jackson train. Is Adam Gates the guy you don't want, or is there someone you're you're even more hesitant about? Uh, Probably, like, the people I don't even know anything about, like the Bills running back slash assistant head coach guy they interviewed today. I don't know anything about him. And the fact that he was on the Anthony, Bills. Anthony Lynn. Was, yeah, him. Like, with Rex Ryan. I mean, what have the running backs done for the Bills this year? I mean, they, they had a good running game, but that offensive line is nothing to sneeze at. Richie Incognito is back to being a pro bowler. Thank you very much, Joe Philbin, for not taking care of that situation and making him leave. But – I don't know how much of the – like, what has LaShawn McCoy done since he looked Philadelphia? He's not that impressive anymore. He's not shady McCoy. He's just kind of insert player here. We could move on from him pretty darn easily because he's not doing anything special. He's not that guy anymore. Well, he's not, to be, to he's be not fair, the juggernaut he was in Philly. To be fair, Sean McCoy wasn't all that impressive in Philadelphia. If you look at his numbers, when the offensive line struggled, he struggled as well. So – He's one of those guys, I and mean, yeah, he makes some moves in the up and field and has some highlight reels, but I think he's more of a product <clears> to <throat> his offensive line. Well, then that that only oh. that only adds oh. to my point. That only adds it. to my point because what is like, what has this guy Anthony Lynn done to make Lashawn McCoy special? Nothing. What has he made, done to make Booby Dixon special? Nothing. Carlos Williams, nothing. He's they're just there. They're just big bruisers who run people over. I mean, good for you. That means you're a beast. That doesn't mean you're particularly talented. So I don't know what this guy Anthony Lynn has to offer. And I guess if the other if, if there was another guy that I was like aversion to, I guess it would be Mike Smith. But only because it's like I see. Every, I, I guess that's more of a peer pressure thing because I see everybody else around me like Mike Smith. Ooh, but we talked about it on my show last night. We he has credentials. It's just. I don't know. I really don't get why they don't like Mike Smith, but I guess that if everybody else is seeing something that I'm not, I'll kind of jump on that bandwagon. There are other people I'd rather have anyway. I think it's because he looks like a grandpa, maybe. He's got the, Joe like, nobody, but nobody minded that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Joe Philbin, I don't know. I don't know what he looks like, but Mike Smith kind of just has that like kind of like caring grandfather look, like he, like he just got done taking his grandchildren to go, go visit Santa. Or whatever. It looks like the angry neighbor across the street who yells at you to get off his lawn. Why do people want him? 
there could be that too. With uh, I think the eyebrows have something too. He's got like those those perfectly like silver eyebrows that match matches hair. That always kind of threw me for a loop when he was in Atlanta. But I mean, you're right. He's got credentials, and you could do far worse than Mike Smith. I don't. He also picked his nose on the sideline and got caught doing it. That might hurt. Okay. Too. Yes. Well, so did Ryan Tannehill. Next question. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't care. If, I mean, Brian Tannehill should be picking his nose out there in in a sort of uh, uh, protest for what's been going on around in the past few years. So let me ask you guys this, and then we'll go ahead and move on to the next topic because we've got some other things I want to talk about. Who do you think will be the coach? Now, who do you want? Who do you think will be the next coach of the Miami Dolphins? Adam Gase. Wow. Even even with the Philadelphia rumor, man, I like it. You are a gambler. Uh I'm not, I, 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 you, you asked who do I think will be, not who do I want. And I think Stephen oh, Ross is going to make Stephen Ross is going to make him an offer you can't refuse. Oh, <laughs> some Godfather talk. That's pretty good. Uh, anytime you can imitate Marlo, Marlon Brando on this show, I appreciate it. Dolphin fan for life. Who, who do you think is going to be the next coach? I am going to go with Hugh Jackson because you said that he was eyeing the job for a while. But uh, one quick point about Adam Gase. Take it from somebody who my mom used to work for Vanderbilt, so I had a chance to meet um, meet Mr. Cutler. Anybody who could get him to tone down his me attitude and actually perform uh, deserves a shot. But I think Hugh Jackson is probably going to be our guy. Wow, you just made. I'll be uh, happy if it is. Made, I, mean, I was gonna say you just made Lewis's evening with that Duke. Who do you think? Um, I don't know. I don't really have a feel for it. I mean, there's no like reason going out of this right way. Now. I'm gonna say, I, you know, there's stuff floating around a little bit ago that they're making a big push for Adam Gaze. Talking about Hugh Jackson, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'll just make the, the screwball pick and say Dan Campbell gets the job back. You know, why not? Well, that, I mean, would be the pick that, says every, that would be the pick that said all the coaches gave the Dolphins the middle finger and we have no choice. That could well, happen. But I, I think this team's got too much to offer to, to really get the – the, the true go to hell treatment that we we've come to expect uh, from well a lot of people have come to expect. I'll say this though, this is my prediction. I'm just going to go with trends. Doesn't Mike Tannenbaum have some sort of record where he's only worked with defensive head coaches? I think that it is it, over. It's a, well, I mean, overwhelmingly one sided in that regard. So I'm going to say I'm well, going to say Carol Austin. Um, Tannenbaum was with the organization, the Jets, when Herm Edwards was the coach, right? Was Herm Edwards the defensive coach, too? <laughs> now we're talking about Herm Edwards. I, I'm so glad you're on this show right now for bringing up Herm Edwards because I've been looking for an excuse to bring that guy up forever, and now here we are. We have a chance. So let's have the Herm Edwards I'm, conversation. It's a sincere question, I guess. I don't know. I guess I'm glad I gave you the excuse. I don't know. No, I honestly I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. I'm fairly certain that before he was a head coach, I'm trying to remember. I want to say he was a DB coach. 
That that sounds because like that first like in the late nineties when Tampa was playing buckball and their defense was really good. And they had guys uh like Rondé Barber in there, um John Lynch too. Uh, I want to say that Herm Edwards was was their coach, and then I think he moved down to the Jets after that. So, well, there is one other thing to be said about Tannenbaum, and I'm just going to make this last point. Um, Mike Tannenbaum, just before he became part of the, of the Dolphins organization, he was Hugh Jackson's agent. So there is a connection. Hmm, I like it. Inside information. Uh, I'm going to go with, I think that it could be Terrell Austin. I also think that, I think Mike Shanahan's going to be uh, a, a big-time consideration. I think that given what the Dolphins have to offer, it's right in line with what Mike Shanahan wants to do. So if you're looking for best bang for the buck right off the bat, I think your guys are the the older gentlemen in the conversation, Mike Shanahan, Mike Smith. We're only considering Mike's at this point. So it, it's going to be interesting. But we'll go ahead and we'll move to the conversation. I just want to point out one Herm Edwards was a defense backs coach. He was. That's what I thought he was. I thought he was a, a DB coach. Because I know he was in Tampa during when uh, that team first rose to prominence with, after uh, Tony Dungy took him over. I think Herm Edwards uh, got there right after Tony Dungy. So. Um, like I said, 347-326-9461, that is the number. I've got some people waiting in the queue. I'm going to let it fill up a little bit more before I start taking calls just because uh, I'd like to dedicate a little bit of uh, a portion of the show to that. You can also tweet me if you got a question, at KMB8488 uh, on Twitter. I'm checking it right yeah, now. Everybody, yeah, everybody okay. stay on the line. It's not like our show where we kind of have to let people hang up because I don't know how to tell everybody to stop talking. Yeah, I don't. I it runs hot and cold. Sometimes I want to get to their calls immediately. Other times, if we if we've got other stuff going on, I'll just dedicate a time to it. There's been times where I've brought people on, like as the show keeps going. Uh, for shows like this, where we have plenty of talking about, I like to just dedicate a portion to this. So with that win on Sunday, the Dolphins are now picking eighth. Uh, I'm not sure. I wasn't looking at the math. What was the lowest they could have picked? Was it sixth? I think if it was five, I'm not sure, but it had to be, like, really, really convenient. Because they were at five. There was a chart. There was a chart that said seven to nine, so. Okay. So, I mean, if that is seven to nine, then then they they lose out on one spot. Unfortunately, Baltimore is in front of them, which hurts because a lot of people on Twitter that I follow, guys who are on my feed, are really into Jalen Ramsey. I mean, he declared yesterday, I think, he's the cornerback slash uh, safety. I think he's going to be a better safety. I think he's going to be an incredible safety at the NFL level. Yeah, just say safety because that's what everybody wants him as. Yeah, I mean, he's – I mean, don't get me wrong. They're going to say it's a wasted pick. Yeah, he flipped back back to corner at Florida State this year, and he he was incredible. But the best pure corner in this draft, make no mistake – is Vernon Hargraves. Even if you can look past or if you're hung up on the fact that um, in that bowl game on New Year's Day against Michigan, he looked terrible. Like, he looked like he was hungover. He was more hungover than I was. Like, he bit so hard on this one pump fake that went for a touchdown that, like, I almost threw up all over myself when I saw that it was bad. But I'm still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially if you had a guy like Terrell Austin in there. Then that becomes just a a complete no-brainer pick. I think Vernon Hargraves is the best. Guys. What's that? 
I want to watch that film with you guys. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm gagging just thinking about it, but we we will we'll, we'll look at that. It was bad. But he is the best cover corner in the draft. A lot of people uh, are really into some of the guys who are were not really draft household names even when halfway through this season, but guys who are really starting to get bumped up a little bit there. Uh, so if you're looking at the Dolphins there at eight, I'm going to ask each of you guys this question, and it's a pretty obvious one, but we're all into looking at college players too. Who is the guy reasonably, I mean, and by reasonably I mean he will likely be available. So I'm not accepting Jalen Ramsey because personally I think Jalen Ramsey can go as high as three to San Diego. I don't think he falls past Baltimore. I think Ozzie Newsom knows the value of a rangy safety. He's known uh, one or two in his time. So at eight, who do you think is the guy for Miami if you're making the pick? And we'll start. We'll start with Duke this time. Because there's a couple of positions you need and some players that fit that role. Uh, one name that I'll throw out there that a lot of people are big on is Mackenzie Alexander, cornerback um, from Clemson. I think he'll be a uh, I think he'll be there. Um, depending on what happens with Shelby and Vernon, I think there are a couple of uh, defensive end guys that could be um, in, in position there. You know, one thing that we'll have to get used to is these character issue players, that, you know, before we'd say, well, that's not a Philbin type player. Uh, I, I don't have to pronounce his name, but he's a defensive end from Ole Miss. So, um, I mean, those are some positions and some players that could uh, – I mean, they may not necessarily feel a immediate role, um, but these are guys that will need to be there because we really only have coming off of an injury and guys like Fidei, Demontre Moore, and some other guys that, you know, un- kind of unproven guys to defensive end. So that's a, that's a more of a position of need than people think. And those will be some of the names that I think will be there at eight that Miami could really take a look at, uh, especially if Vernon prices himself out of free agency and they don't retain Shelby Ott. So that's, uh, that, that's, those, those are the, that's the position that I think that Miami could target if guys like Hargraves and Ramsey and so on get taken before eight. All right. Dolphin fan, what do you think? Um, let's see. Well, I think really you have Emmanuel Abgo, which was a defensive end. Um, but I'm still pounding the rock for Jalen Smith. Um, who I believe he got injured, right? Yeah, he tore his ACL and MCL in that Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. And they're concerned of potential nerve damage. Uh, that sucks. That bums me out. Yeah, he's been my guy all year. Um, I, 
thing, but we're talking about who potentially be there. I think he's one. Um, I'm thinking maybe uh, well, who do you think would be the first, the first? Go ahead. I'm thinking maybe Leonard Floyd, uh, Nendeksky, or however you pronounce his name. Uh, Anka Nditschke. Uh Begins with an N. Nditschke, something like that. Uh, hold on. Uh, Robert Leonard Nditschke. Floyd is the guy who I think will, will be a riser. Uh, you know who else is going to be a riser in terms of a pass rusher is um, Shaq Lawson. Those are the guys that I think will be there at eight that I think Miami could take. I mean, it's not – I mean, say Rishon Vernon, you know, they're not taking a defensive end uh, that, that early, obviously. But if not, you know, or, you know, Wake said he's open to uh, restructuring and things of that nature. But let's say that doesn't happen there, you know, the guy that you're talking about from Ole Miss – Sack uh, Lawson, some of these pass rushers. Those are the, those are the guys that should be there at eight that Miami should take a hard look at. Well, I mean, uh, we're talking about the guys who are who are guaranteed to not be there. You have to assume uh, Laramie Tunsil won't be there. He could be the number one overall pick for Tennessee. Uh, you have to. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that both quarterbacks, thankfully, the the big two in terms of Goff and Lynch. I think Lynch. I don't know. I would take Goff over Lynch. That's just me. I, I like the, the skill set more. I understand that Lynch has a better uh, perspective tools, if you will. So, I mean, one of those guys is going to go to Cleveland. I think the other guy is going to go to San Francisco. Yeah, I think they have the seventh pick. So, if you've got Tunsil, we'll say Tunsil goes number one. We'll say go, uh, Cleveland uh, takes Goff at number two. Or no, you know what? They'll take Lynch because it's Cleveland. And I'm not saying Lynch is. Gonna, I think Lynch could be outstanding, but I think that right now we know more about golf than we do Lynch. So at number three, you got San Diego. Uh, San Diego's two big, biggest needs. Uh, I imagine they're going to need a safety since Eric Weddle's uh, hitting the road. And their offensive line is garbage. So, do you think they take Ronnie Stanley, or do you think they take Jalen Ramsey? Or do they surprise everyone and take Joey Bosa? That's a hard one. Well, let me, I'm let me say, throw out a name out there that could could be there at eight. I, I don't know that he would be, but if Ronnie Stanley is sitting there at eight, what would you do? I would... I would think long and hard about taking Ronnie Stanley. Yeah, yeah I've already talked about how much. I, Ronnie Stanley and Jack Conklin are, are I think, both outstanding uh, tackle prospects at the, for the NFL. I think that Stanley has more upside. But Conklin wowed me. In that game against Alabama, he was absolutely the only Michigan State offensive lineman to show up. And he looked comfortable in space. He moved well. He didn't ever, like, any time that he, you knew that he was going to get uh, an Alabama edge rusher, he looked, he just deleted him, looked fine. 
just absolutely stood the guy up. That impressed me. The, the, the talk now with Conklin is some people think he might be a guard, even though I think he's pretty he's pretty big. He's six six. I think he's uh, I forget the weight. Three hundred five, three ten, three fifteen is so the in that range. Ronnie Stanley has played right tackle and left tackle at Notre Dame, and I mean I I love him as a player because I don't think he's really a finesse guy. And I hate finesse tackles, and not because of Jonathan Martin or any of the other goons we've seen come into the league and everyone's like, oh, he's a finesse tackle. And that just means that he just gets absolutely wallowed, wallowed by the bull rush every time. Uh, I, Ronnie Stanley is somebody I'd strongly consider. Uh, I think that Jacksonville could take Vernon Hargrave, so that's something if, if someone's going to let some air out of the balloon for us in terms of draft picks, it could be Jacksonville. Uh, Dallas at four could take a quarterback. I just said that I think the quarterbacks will go at two and seven. Uh, I don't think they'll do that. Yeah. I don't think they'll get a quarterback. I don't think they'll draft a quarterback. I don't Johnny Football. I think. Johnny Football. Jerry wanted him last Uh, year. He wants him again. We're referring to him now as Billy Vegas, actually. Okay, well, Billy wants to – Jerry wants Billy in Dallas. So they won't draft the QB. That's, well, you know, that, that's too, well, I don't know. That doesn't really help or hurt us because we have one more quarterback needy team in front of us anyway. So, well, so if you're Dallas, then you have absolutely everything on offense that, I mean, you could possibly want. Where are you going with that pick? Do they take Jalen Ramsey? Because safety has always kind of been an if an iffy issue for Dallas. Do they blow it up and they go Jalen Ramsey and just absolutely – bulldoze the NFC next year. I'm, I'm going to throw down a, a name that I've seen on Twitter, and it would, you know, the offensive lineman picks would cause a stir among fans because it's not a quote-unquote sexy pick, but it's a guy like Ronnie Stanley. Let's say Conklin's draft stock rises to the point. You know, like a few years ago, Lane Johnson was a second-round pick, and then he goes and runs faster than some linebackers, and he becomes the fourth overall pick. So it's not inconceivable or inconceivable that Conklin could rise up there to be a top-ten pick. So let's take him out of the way. One name that I've seen on Twitter is Laquan Treadwell for the Dolphins. Yeah. Now, people think, what you just drafted Devontae Park. Well, there are some that I've seen that don't think Parker's necessarily a number-one type guy. I disagree with that. But... If you really wanted to basically tell Ryan Tannehill, like, all right, you have absolutely no excuses for your weapons anymore, that would be a guy you'd go for. I don't know that that Tannenbaum or Tannegreer or whatever we want to call him now it could justify that to the fans, but, I mean, what do you think of that particular option? Oh, boy. Uh, well, if you're talking about a receiver core that features, I mean, we'll just go down down by the numbers. So you got Landry, Parker, Stills, and I mean, we're assuming that Richard Matthews isn't back. Uh, then you bring in Treadwell. So that's a, that's a nasty four. I don't know if anyone watched the Sugar Bowl, but Laquan Treadwell was just on fire in that game. He just absolutely carved up Oklahoma State to the point where it was almost hard to watch. And, and he did it uh, a number of ways. I mean, he I mean he he was a deep threat in that game. Uh, he 
for a guy his size, he went up and looked like a great jump, a jump ball type receiver. So his leaping ability is there. Uh, I mean, and he's he to me looks like a pretty good route runner too. I didn't get a ton of time to look at him uh, in that game, but I liked what I saw. And I haven't spent any time looking at receivers outside of Laquan Treadwell this year, just because uh, I OD'd on receivers last year, especially with all the guys in there: Amari Cooper, Kevin White, Devontae Parker, uh, Doriel Green, Beckham, so on and so forth, Jalen Strong. So. Um, just looking at, the, at these guys available, I suspect that I think Jacksonville is going to take Hargraves. I think Dallas could take Jalen Ramsey, so they'll spoil that for us. And then that kind of puts uh, Baltimore in a funny spot because they need to upgrade quite a few things going on. Their, uh, their defense has seen better days. Their offense, too. And they need receivers because they don't know what they have in Rashad Perryman because then he was injured. I don't. Maybe they go offensive line. Maybe they're the team that takes Ronnie Stanley and spoils it for us. I don't know. But if we just get past that number six pick, because I'm confident that San Francisco is. I mean, maybe they take the number three quarterback on the board for all you know. Maybe you get some guy who rises up there. Who knows? Maybe they another name. They is got. Deron Lee. Yeah. I mean. Deron Lee, outside linebacker from Ohio State. Um, what about Miles Jack? Are we still are we still interested in Miles I, Jack? I, I'm just <laughs> against the grain on Jack. You know, I, I just I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. You bring in Miles Jack. If you're the Dolphins, you bring him in, and from day one, when you play the Patriots, you put Miles Jack on Rob Gronkowski. I am that confident in Miles Jack as a cover man. I'm not saying he's going to dominate Rob Gronkowski, but I think he gives you the best chance. Because Miles Jack is as good a cover linebacker as I have seen. I can't remember the last time I saw a guy who could cover like that at the second level. I remember Luke Keekley was a lot of people were really into his ability at Boston College to, to cover. I think Miles Jack blows away Luke Keekley. And just in terms of coverage, now, I mean, people would hear that and be like, oh, he said Miles Jack is better than Luke Keekley. No, I didn't. Not overall. Luke Keekley in turn, is the total package as far as I'm concerned. But everything I've seen from Miles Jack in terms of range and everything, that guy is going to be a baller. That guy is going to be outstanding. And honestly, if the Dolphins draft him, consider me a fan right off the bat. You do not need to sell me on that pick. So I, I was just curious where we've gone the past couple of years or the the past couple of weeks, excuse me, because uh, t- I know when we earlier this season we were talking about linebackers and we were talking about Jalen Smith, uh, Miles Jack, Scooby Wright, uh, so on. Uh, Reggie Ragland was in that conversation. I think he'll he could be a riser. I think that his lack of straight line speed might hurt him because I don't think he's a burner by any stretch. Uh, I was talking to one of my one of my favorite people to talk to about the Dolphins is uh, Zach. He sometimes comes on the show. And uh, he mentioned yesterday that if, uh, and I agree with him, that if Reggie Raglan can just run a 4-7, he's game. All he needs is a 4-7 out of Reggie Raglan. And, I mean, I'm fine with that. Because I think that Reggie Raglan is going be, to become a premier inside linebacker. Of course, you take an inside linebacker at 8. That's a question a lot of people have. It's not a popular pick in the top 10. And the guys who have been picks at that position, uh, like Rolando McLean, doesn't really work out for the uh, the drafter 
Uh, one question, or actually not really a question, but another thing I want to bring up, and it's in regard to Jalen Smith. I was out on Saturday night. Uh, a couple of my friends like to watch ultimate fighting. I'm not really into it too much, but I wanted to go out. So I was with them, and one of my friends out was, uh, he's like Mr. Notre Dame. He just absolutely eats, sleeps, and breeds that team. He loves them. And I asked, he was asking me about Miami's draft pick, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I like linebackers. I'm kind of, I'm still interested in the offensive line just because I I don't want to get my quarterback uh, completely maimed beyond beyond repair. And he was like, uh, are you interested in Jalen Smith? And I was like, well, I mean, stop me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Miami, what they're really looking for is just a knockout leader, uh, just top talent inside linebacker at this point. And I feel like that would almost be a disservice to Jalen Smith, given his skill set playing at the weak side linebacker position. And I, and I asked him, I'm like, am I wrong thinking that? And he was like, no, absolutely. He's like, I agree. You're almost wasting a fair amount of his talent kicking him inside. Because, I mean, that guy, if he's, in, if he's lucky enough, I mean, when he becomes healthy again, and, I mean, like, I hope that it works out for him. But when healthy that guy playing the weak side linebacker position was just an unbelievable natural in his ability, his pursuit, uh, his ability to flow to the ball and the ball carrier uh, and just great range. I mean, just a do-everything will linebacker. So while that would be great, and uh, I would never say no to some something like that, uh, I feel like Johnny Jenkins does some good things for this team. And I think that if you can get a knockout middle linebacker in there, uh, Jelani Jenkins' life becomes a lot easier. So uh, you also got to think whether or not we're going to be, you know, I mean, yeah. Granted, everybody's looking at our roster and thinking four three four three four three. Well, you know, some of Sue's best work was done on the outside. So some guy may come in and look at Jordan Phillips at three hundred. 20 plus pounds and you know Nantikum Sue at 300 plus pounds doing better on the outside and may decide hey um, we might be better doing a 3-4 hybrid you do that then who do you pick I think they run pretty much hybrid fronts anyway I mean you, you'll see different looks um, at least that's what uh the new guy, whenever it kept, uh, Coyle was let go, he took over. He, he kind of did some of that. Um, I mean, I think they'll use stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a, a uh, you know, well, we have to get just a 3-4 or we have to get, um, you know, four three guys. I think they'll make it work. One guy that, you know, uh, Keith knows I talk about Scooby Wright as far as an inside linebacker. And I've read, try to read some stuff on him. I know he missed most of the year. <clears throat> I don't know how he is in coverage yet. But from everything I, I'm reading, he's a very instinctive kind of linebacker. And that's what we need. We need a guy that can, number one, get off the box, and number two, that's instinctive, can, can make, make the stops. And I honestly think going into next year, based on what I've seen, Jelani Jenkins and Neville Hewitt are going to be your nickel linebackers. Um, I really liked what I saw from Neville Hewitt in this in this uh, this last game. Uh, he, he he flew to the ball. 
he that that one play in coverage on Gronkowski was, was was very good. I mean, you just don't see linebackers do that very often. And I don't care if the Patriots weren't playing that hard. That that's a play that Rob Gronkowski makes over most people. And Hewitt was with him step for step, selected the pass or, or or broke it up in whatever manner, and it was very impressive. And then like a couple plays later or the next drive later. They try that little shovel pass inside, and he just blew it up in the backfield. And this guy's an undrafted free agent. I mean, this is his second start. He's he's a guy that was a long shot to begin with, and now he's starting and he's making plays. He had two interceptions this year. Jelani Jenkins has zero interceptions in his career. This guy had two. One was called back to the stupid roughing the passer penalty, but still he was around the ball and, and he picked it off. So those are guys I think you can build around. If you're really looking for, you know, just an inside backer, if you want a guy that's not going to necessarily have to be on the field all the time, or I know they used to be right a lot rushing the passer, you know, he's a guy I think you could pick up in the second round to fill your middle linebacker role. And I, I think that helps the position. I mean, you've got guys there that just need to develop a little bit. The problem was you're relying on guys like Kelvin Shepard too much who – yeah, he played a decent game against the Patriots, but he, you know, we watched receivers bounce off of his tackles all season long. We know he's not the answer. Kohamisi can't stay healthy. He's too expensive. Um, you know, I, I think they can find a couple of guys, not necessarily in the first round, that they can fill the linebacker position and that middle linebacker role, and I think it would be uh, be very good. To me, that's, that's the middle linebacker position is the biggest need, but I think – they can feel it with a second round pick. All right. You're right. Um, if we move to a hybrid, then I'm probably going with Stuart Craven. Uh, safety linebacker hybrid. But um, what do you guys think about maybe if he falls that far, Jalen Smith in the second? and handling our first-round needs elsewhere. Hmm. I would be all for it, because a lot of what I'm reading basically says you're going to have to redshirt him anyway. And there, there will be some backlash from fans because they'll say, well, we need draft picks to contribute now. But, yeah, I mean, if... if There's going to be really... backlash regardless of who we pick because yeah. somebody's... <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there. Yeah, I mean, if if you feel like he's healthy and he's going to recover well and he's there in the second round, then then that's a pick you can make. We'll see. I'm I'm looking at some of the the Twitter things right now. Uh, People, it seems like, well, Adam Beasley just uh, tweeted out I don't know what time this came out, but he gave a list of of the guys he thinks are most likely to be to get the the coaching gig in Miami. And he lists Shanahan, Hugh Jackson, Adam Gase, uh, Doug Marone. Interesting. We haven't really talked about Doug Marone once. He is easily my least desired of of the crew we're looking at. Uh, and I I can't I can't look at. Doug Marone without, well, just laughing. I'm not going to lie. It's funny to me. So, we'll see. Philadelphia, um, 
offer gave that contract. So I, I'll I'll be surprised if it takes too long to find out the the result of that. Um, obviously, hoping for good things. I'd like options at this point, but I mean, if he takes it, you know, that's just one one less uh, option for us to consider. And you know, consolidating your search isn't always a bad thing. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start to wind this down a little bit, just because uh, uh, I forgot about the callers, and we were too busy having that discussion, and most of them hung up. So sorry about that, guys. Uh, normally, I, I want to take everyone's the call. Line. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so impatient the so, microwave society. Say that again? The microwave society, everybody's so impatient. We get to you, yeah, we So rude. They probably think I'm rude for not taking their call immediately. So sorry about that guys. Call in again. Uh is there anything else you guys wanna wanna get out there before we before we wind it down tonight? I think it's Anything scary like that my biggest nemesis just used a term that I pretty much use on a daily basis. Uh, what? The microwave society? The microwave society, yeah. I've been saying that for months. <laughs> I've been saying it for years. He probably gleaned it from you, so don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I saw today that he's making, uh, he said that, um, he it, what what is it, he's privatizing his tweets or whatever, and you're going to have to or his his stuff, even though I think that Sun Sentinel's uh, got a paywall now, doesn't it? I, I, I don't read the, the the sewage that comes out of that site. I don't know how it works. I really don't care either. Every time I try to read, even I, I do read just to see, like, okay, this is a story that I haven't seen from anybody else. Let me take a look. And I always get hit with 5,000 advertisements and videos that I don't care to watch because it has nothing to do with the story itself. And it's like, oh, so it's like, no, I I give up. So if Omar wants to block more of his people, that's fine. Less stupid people to deal with. Well, well I don't care. Pretty, pretty soon, it's like the only two people going to be too, pretty soon. Too, the only two people that are going to be following each other is Miko and Omar. They're going to just be, be nice. conversations. Do you think that she's back next year? I think if she is, she's probably biding her time under like a different account, but we'll pretty soon know it's her because her profile pictures is going to be of like some pornographic cake or something. Oh, oh I um, burned. What was funny about Omar's tweet was he said, for those of you who, basically for those who want his stuff freely, they don't have to pay. And I commented on it, I was like, I don't think he knows what freely means. No, I think he's referring. I I think he's referring to like his real opinion has to be for the paying customers. Otherwise, he's just gonna spew what he well, considers to be garbage for everybody else. Just what do you mean we're not getting his, his real awful. opinion? <laughs> Essentially, I think that's what he meant. But that's his grammar is pretty bad for someone who gets paid to write for a living. Well, whatever he's making is too I don't much. Care if it was I hope he does privatize it, though. But, I mean, like, I have to say that, I, I mean, hey, I'm not I hope always Omar makes a of, lot of money because he's doing my profession. Um, sure. Uh, so, just You know what I mean. At, I know what you mean. Um, and I'm I sure you're already more of, a pro, more of a professional. So, hopefully you take his job. Although, I prefer that you work for the Miami Herald. I just like that, that publication more. Um, 
and I don't mind Adam Beasley. I didn't like it. It wasn't Adam Beasley the one who called Ryan Tannehill a coach killer, though. Uh, yeah, he. I think he uh, put that up for a uh, discussion. Like, is it really laser, or was it just Tannehill just so awful that he just ruins people's careers? All right. How many, uh, how many interviews has Bill Lazor got this week? Well, yeah, yeah, he's interviewing everywhere. Actually, he should be interviewing I, for uh, for I mean, a NFL job. It. Like, I mean, these co- coaches watch film; they understand this stuff. And if they thought, yeah, really, it wasn't it wasn't Bill Lazor; it was Tannehill. He'd be getting lots of calls. They'd be like, "Well, we see what you did." And we understand you had a bad quarterback, so it's not really your fault. We'd like to bring you in to get your. That's not happening. So, you know, take that. We're looking to run the ball. Uh, really, never as infrequently as possible. We want to use the run game. Who do we call? Get the laser on the phone. So basically, so Green Bay. Yeah, perfect for Green Bay. <laughs> Philbin and Laser can go to Green Bay. Yeah, Philbin can go back to the watch. That's what I want. Underwear. That's what I want for a head coach is someone with X's and O's experience. Philbin didn't have it. Sperano didn't have it. But somebody who's dealt on the X's and O's of football, you know, that can tell you where the defensive end is, point to an X and say, okay, that's the left defensive end. You know, that can show you a shift, can show you a motion, can show you all this. Just not well, someone like who's dealt with a specific position. If you're looking for a guy who really just can break the game down into the simplest X's and O's, it's, it's Mike Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan's good at that, too. I think Kyle Shanahan kind of got a bad rap when he went to Cleveland and really when he was working with his dad in Washington. Because, I mean, the, honestly, Atlanta for a while, they're totally overachieved because of what he was able to do. Because he's big on he's going to implement that that run-heavy West Coast offense. He, need, he needs an X receiver to really stretch stretch the defense over the top and yeah. enable his run game. And, then, and you thought... I don't think yeah. people understand how poorly balanced Miami really was. And, I mean, I see oh, terrible. I see stuff all, all, all the time about, well, if Ryan Tannehill throws the ball too much. There was at one point this season, Ryan Tannehill had over 50 passing attempts, and the Dolphins rushed the ball, I think, <laughs> 11 times. I mean, I, I, I looked at this. He passed the ball, I think at one point, almost it was 90% of the snap. Uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't get close to that. I mean, these people are thinking, well, they're, they're, they're making Ryan Tannehill, you know, limit Ryan Tannehill's throws. No, don't limit Ryan Tannehill's throws. Limit the – make it more balanced. It's, it's ridiculous. I think they said it was in the Indianapolis game that Miami was second in the league at, what, 68% or some ridiculously high number uh, pass to run. And that's that's an average. I mean, that's just how poorly unbalanced they are. So, to me, I don't care so much about, you know, necessarily the X's and O's. I, I want that. But I'm a guy who's going to understand that, you know what? We're going to run the ball, not because we don't want Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball, but because we want Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball. 
you can't have him drop back 50 times a game and the defense is just going to sit back. Like, they're never going to run the ball. So we're just going to sit back and make him throw it to us. I mean, that's stupid. And you look at this game against the Patriots. I think he had, like, uh, like some, somewhere close to 40 pass attempts. But they have, what, 28 rushing attempts? It was it was a much more balanced attack. Even though the rushing offense uh, in the second half, uh, especially aside from Tannehill's big run on third down, they really didn't do much running or didn't run that effectively in the second half, but they kept it up, and that opened things up in the passing game. And Tannehill looked, went 352 touchdowns, looked amazing, you know, so – to me, it just blows my mind how people can sit here and, and look at the quarterback or anything else and just look at what these offenses have done and sit here and it, just whoever they bring in, run the ball. Give it to Lamar Miller, to Ajayi, whoever you draft, whoever you bring in as free I don't care. Run the ball. Speaking of Ajayi, do you think Ajayi, do you think Jalen Smith is this year's Ajayi? People avoid him because of the thing. I mean, he doesn't really care. He's got uh, an insurance, a five million dollar insurance policy in case he falls out of round one that he gets to collect on. So yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Jaye, because it's a different type of thing. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's all going to boil down to the medicals, and if he starts, if he starts dropping, then it's going to be because if he falls out of round one, I think it's very possible that he could fall even farther in the draft than in the second or even third round. Simply because if he's that talented, you know a team like uh, a team like Carolina or uh, Peyton. Even though I don't think New England has a first round pick. Uh, or a team, you know, these teams that are that are drafting later, uh, Seattle. Um, uh, Cincinnati, uh, the Steelers, some of these teams, they've got enough players and enough depth, they could take a flyer on a guy like that. I mean, uh, the Bengals drafted Cedric Ogbui in the first round. He didn't play until the end of the year. He was mostly a red shirt guy. So I think he's a guy that, I mean, they could take chances on a guy like that. If they don't, then it's a safe bet that his medicals did not check out to expectations and he could fall a lot farther than people expect. Um, that's just kind of how it seems with the draft. So, I mean, he's, he's got enough talent. I don't suspect he would fall to the third day, but it's, it, it's entirely possible based on the medical stuff. And you won't really know until it happens. So, I mean, if, if Jalen Smith gets there and somebody picks him at 14, they're like, yeah, his knee checked out. If he's sitting there in the third round, late in the third round, and nobody's touched him yet, you can pretty much bet, yeah, his his need did not uh, did not come up standards, or somebody yeah. simply pulled pulled a Ajayi, and because I mean Ajayi's medical records were from like four years ago. That's what caused him to drop in the draft. The guy was a day two prospect from the beginning, and then all of a sudden, as it neared the draft, it's like, uh oh, bone on bone, bone on bone. You know, and that, I think I think Todd yeah, really helps that in that regard, though. I understand that Todd really got hurt. Uh, I think it was like in November of 2014. So I mean, he had ample time, so like he was able to get involved early in the season, early-ish. But I, I, 
the comment I was making when, when Duke was talking is that if if New England had a first round pick, those guys would be all over it. Just because he can take a they, if you're picking late in the first round and you're not Pittsburgh, who's used I think a first round pick on linebacker, uh, all I think like the last three years, and I think that uh, Lawrence Timmons is also a first round pick, but so they have first round four first round picks playing in the linebacker core, which is pretty insane. But if you're Taking late in the first round, you can you can afford to take a flyer on that guy, or if you think that maybe you can get him in the second round. I mean, MCL and ACL tear together. That's pretty. That is damaging, and I mean, and Duke also mentioned the fact that they're they're not sure about additional nerve damage, which I, I pray to God there's not. So, but I think that the Todd Gurley situation helps Jalen Smith in that uh, instead of backing off completely. I mean, yeah, he might go into the later in the first round. He might go into the second round. I mean, but if, if he falls past that first round, I mean, you guys heard that he's got that insurance policy in there, so he collects anyway. So he's not out the money on it. It just sucks that, I mean, in his last collegiate game, that happened. That's the real tragic part in this. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where, where he'll end up if, you know, Seattle takes a flyer on him or somebody in the second round thinks, you know, screw it. Let's go ahead and just add him, and then when he's ready to go, uh, we'll and, you know if, if we can get him back to full health, we'll have a, just a, a knockout weak side linebacker available. I want to I want to ask a question, get get opinions. I saw this on Twitter, and I put it on the side a couple. Or I think it was yesterday. Um, I mean, most people are done with Jamar Taylor, and for whatever reason, he didn't cut it as a cornerback. I think he could do well as a free safety. Um, he's 5'11", something in that range, so he's maybe slightly on the short side for a free safety, but he, he's he's good height, good build. He's got 4'3-something speed. Um, he, he, he doesn't do well when he has to turn his back. Uh, if he's a man and he's chasing you, he's not a guy that's going to look for the ball, attack the ball. But when he keeps the play in front of him, he's a willing tackler. He's usually a pretty good tackler. He can make the big hits, and he, he, he can make plays on the ball that way. What do you think of him getting a shot at free safety? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a tough call. I mean, I don't now, think so. This is not, this is not too... This is not to say that they're doing this and they're not going to draft somebody. But he's on your team. He's only one, some, like 1.1 million against the cap next year. So cutting him doesn't really save your cap space. The guy has some talent. Well, I mean, put him in a place he can succeed. He's obviously struggled at corner. I mean, why couldn't he succeed at safety? I don't know. I, I I feel like I'm as long as he's able to keep the play in front of him. I like the idea of it. Uh, I, I still to this day I, wish I, we would have kept. I had such a love hate thing with Jamar Taylor. That, I mean, I'm pretty much I'm done with him too. But uh, I also, if I'm if I'm willing to extend Ryan Tannehill the courtesy of understanding that I mean he's had crap coaching. During, in his time in the NFL, I have to do that for the defense too. 
especially when you consider how badly it's split off this year. I mean, the run game, the, the run defense was bad. Uh, the pass defense was just an absolute tire fire. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, think you gave it to the wrong guy if you're giving Jamar Taylor a chance. You should have given that chance to Will Davis. I think he would have made a good free safety right next to Rashad Jones. Yeah, he was, he was a thumper. See, I, I think Will Davis. I think what was weird was after Davis was drafted, uh, and, and Keith and I had watched so much tape on cornerbacks that year, for some reason we just missed out on Will Davis. We went back and watched. What what I did not understand was when we watched him his college tape. He he wasn't a tackler. You could see that in the pros. You could see it in college. There was he never made a tackle. He liked, but he was he was very aggressive in press coverage. I mean, if you put him on a guy, he was all up in his grill, and they didn't do that at Miami. So I wasn't sure about why that changed, but. I think the difference is with a safety, you have to be you have to be willing to make the tackles. Now, you, you got to think if you're if you're building around with strength, you're gonna you're gonna keep Rashad Jones kind of freelancing and doing what he does. I think Taylor could work as a like a deep safety because he does have that kind of speed. He can he can move. I mean, there was you and I both saw him down there in Spartanburg. He was running stride for stride with Ted Ginn, so he's got the speed. It, you know, it would be a matter to me of eye discipline. Is he going to keep, you know, watch his keys, or is he going to be one of those guys that's going to, you know, fall for pump fakes a lot, uh, play action stuff? So, I mean, I, that would be where I would be concerned, but as far as physical ability and what he can do, I don't see why he could not be a, a complementary safety in the, in the mold of what Lewis Delmas was. Um, you know, not necessarily great, but, but adequate, uh, a guy who could who could make those plays when necessary and who wasn't a liability. And if you're asking him to be a, a cornerback, I think he is a liability. If you're asking him to be a safety, I think he's got a shot. It's just a hunch, but I think he could work. Now, I wouldn't bank on him being a starter there, but if I'm the coach and I'm looking at this roster, and I look at what he brings to the table. I mean, every time you see him making a big play, he's always off the ball or off the man. He's always coming up making the big tackles at the line of scrimmage, things like that. I think you could you could use him in a free safety role. And I don't know. That's just a hunch. So it's just an idea I saw. So we'll see what you guys thought. Maybe in a three-safety set. I mentioned Tony Lippett. I like Tony no. Lippett, but another guy I want to mention. Now, Jamar Taylor, if you're using like a three-safety set, which some teams like to do, then yeah. But the one guy I want to see get a shot at Cedric Thompson because yeah. he really he, he's on the practice squad right now. But, you know, you look at him, and, I mean, he, he studies. He, he's like... A dumbed-down Taylor Mays, a little bit, but he's a thumper. You want your you want your Luis Delmas? I think you got him in Cedric Thompson, and 
you really, if you want Lewis Dumas 2.0 minus the health concerns, you put Cedric Thompson back there and you get Lewis Dumas to coach your defensive backs and your safeties and put him in a position where he can learn from him because that guy, I mean, the first thing you see during practice is him or you hear about is him just in his room studying the playbook, studying this, studying that. That guy has a shot to be something special, you know, and give him maybe two years, and I guarantee you he could be the perfect complement to Rashad Jones. Yeah. We've only got a, a minute or two left. We're going to have to wrap this up for this week. So, um, uh, unless any anyone else has anything to note of uh, great importance before we go ahead and uh, mosey on for uh, the night, I want to go ahead and thank Lewis, uh, Chris and Chris, Chris and Duke, <laughs> if you will. Thanks for joining me. I like doing this, uh, this panel that we're able to get here. I think this is a strong group. And then when uh, whenever we're able to get someone like Kevin to call in, we can go ahead and, and do that too. So uh, thank you for tuning in to Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. I uh, hope you enjoyed this show. We'll be back next week with plenty to talk about. We might have a new head coach by that point. Who knows? Uh, so we can go ahead and uh, ramp up that, that discussion uh, as we prepare for it and we get further into scouting for uh, the spring draft. So for everyone here, good night, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Hello. You are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, 
problems that come from those ideas and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.